I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22, verse 15 and 16. Pesach, Passover. As we discussed last week, we have an obligation to share the story, to tell, to teach. We are to pass the memory on to the next generation and also revive the memories in those who might have forgotten. And it takes place around the table. It's not a high religious ceremony in the way we might think of it, but it is a beautiful sanctified event. And it has its own decor, it has its own ambiance. It has in it, as you look across the table, a beautiful setting that seems mysterious if you are not familiar with it. But the reality is, each of the elements that are on the table, from the wine or the juice, to the elements on the Passover plate, to each of the place settings, to the empty setting for Elijah, all teaches us something about our own deliverance. We taste it, we touch it, we smell it, we hear it, we see it. It's a complete immersion into this living sermon, this acted sermon. It's not merely something we sit in the pews and listen to. Rather, we participate, we sing, we laugh, we cry, we remember, we embrace, we live this Seder together. And of course, as we look at the elements of it, we see things that are a bit unusual. Matzah, this this flat, tough, uh, fragile bread, we might even say, that is meant to symbolize that bread which we took out of Egypt. So we have the matzah, we have the maror, we have the chazeret, the choroset, the the zora, the beitza, all of this, the carpus, the salt water, everything that is needed in order to reenact this exodus and to remember the night where we were delivered and we were made free. The night itself has its own sanctity because it is a festival unto the Lord. And we say beautiful brachas, beautiful blessings that show that tonight is different from all other nights. We even sing the order of the Seder. So each of the steps of the Seder is sung in a melody, which is not something we ordinarily do. We sanctify the day by saying a bracha over the wine. We sanctify the day itself and we conclude with who sanctifies the Sabbath in Israel and the seasons. And then we begin to partake. We begin to taste by drinking that first cup, the cup of sanctification. I will take you out. And we're instantly transported back in time. We wash our hands. We dip our uh, vegetable into the salt water to taste our tears. We break the center matzah. And then we begin to tell the story. Each of us are a story. Each of us are at different chapters in our story. 
but each of us have been caught up in the story of God's prophetic narrative of the last 3,500 plus years. It's a story of generations that have been and generations that will be. And it's a story that is wrapped up in matzah and maror. It's a story that is, that is wrapped up in the blessings set over cups. The Apostle Paul writes, For Messiah, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old comets, the comets of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread, the matzah of sincerity and truth. The beauty of the Haggadah is uh, the story of the Passover is that it takes us step by step. We begin to experience this night because part of the obligation of on each of us is to remember that we were slaves. Now we are free. In other words, each generation is to live in that moment as if they were being personally delivered from Egypt because in the most grand sense, in the most spiritual of senses, we have been. So we begin in an exhausted place and preparing for Passover can be exhausting. Or there might be a sense of trepidation because we don't quite know what we're doing. Whatever that feeling is, the Lord wants us to experience it because he's going to deliver us from that to a beautiful place of acceptance and peace, and most importantly, exuberance and joy as we come to the conclusion. It draws in the generations because we remember back to where we have been set free from, what we have been set free to, and the people in our lives and the people of our history that have brought us to this place. And then, of course, we remember the questions that are asked, the questions that are asked that we never really do answer. And that's part of the mystery of the Haggadah and the evening of Passover itself. When we look at the calendar of biblical feast, Pesach and Sukkot, Passover and Tabernacles in the fall are two of the overshadowing themes in the New Testament faith. Passover, of course, the time of deliverance and salvation through Messiah Yeshua and tabernacles, a time, uh, a type of the kingdom of God where we see the bride, the betrothed brought to the bridegroom and joined to him in such beautiful majesty. Each year, our congregation, Messiah congregation, has visitors to the Passover Seder. And, of course, to tabernacles in the fall. But of the two, Pesach, the Seder, is the more overwhelming event for sure. Most of which is caused by all of these unfamiliar things that lay before them. I dip what into what? Wait, what does that mean? What was that called again? All of these are, are questions that you'll hear in confusion in the moment. But praise the Lord, you have people surrounding you who are used to this and who have partaken many times in their own life. So they're faced with, they sit down and usually when we sit down at a table and there's a book in front of us, it's a menu. <laughs> but at Pesach, it's not a menu, it's a story. And it's the story of God's redemptive plan. And it's a story, as I've said, that we don't only read, but we taste, we touch, we smell. 
and we immerse our senses in. So we have this booklet called the Haggadah that this unusual plate that's in front of us with strange looking stuff on it, various bowls on the table, one that's kind of a cloudy looking water, and then one that is clear water. We have blessings that are being said, songs that are being sung, pouring our cups for our neighbors because it's an opulent experience where we're being served as we are also serving. And of course, the matzah. Why do we eat so much matzah? Yet if we follow along with those who are familiar with the event, we'll very quickly discover that there is an order. That's what Seder means, order, a purpose, and a story that's being told. The Seder opens with the lighting of candles, which tells you that something is different for tonight. Usually we we light candles on Shabbat, on Shabbos, but we also light candles for this Seder. We're singing the order of the service. We're singing songs. We're sanctifying the day, as I just uh, just mentioned. And then we remember Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim, the time of our deliverance, our exodus, our taking out from the place of restriction, Egypt. The Seder, far from being a, a supernatural event, and it is in the grandest sense of it, but it's really the telling of a story. And on this night, it's the story of everyone who is assembled there. It's the story of all of those who have been assembled. And it's the story of those who will one day assemble around that table. It's prompted by the questions of our sons, of our daughters, and most certainly by ourselves, if we look on our own heart. Why is this night different from all other nights? It's been my experience of over many years of, of leading satyrs, not only in my own community and in my own home, but also in many, many church communities, that often... Participants are so focused on finding Jesus in the Passover that they often forget to see themselves in the story of the Passover. I can assure you the symbolism of the Messiah is there, the meaning of the Messiah is there, the fulfillment is there, but he wants us to find ourselves in there as well. He wants us to have a moving experience that ultimately draws us closer to him as we see ourselves being delivered and we see him doing the work of that deliverance. When we conclude the Seder and and often in the weeks and the months that follow and the times of reflection, we, we begin to see the meaning in a deeper way than just being a night of gathering information to enhance our New Testament understanding. If that's all we're there for, let's just have a class on it. We don't need to sit and take the time and do all the preparation. We'll just have a class. No, that's not what the spirit of Pesach is. It's more than just information. It is an experience. It's an experience in the most beautiful way of how God reached down from heaven As he said, I'm going to go down to Egypt and I'm going to see their plight. I've heard their cries. 
And if we embrace that experience as he desires us to, we know that he has embraced us and he has heard us and he is here even with us now as our Emmanuel. But during the Seder, we find our mood, we find our emotions are stirred. We symbolically wash our hands, getting rid of impurity, getting ready to partake of holy things. We taste our tears. We taste the bitterness of bondage. We consume unleavened bread. We hear the story. We sing of our deliverance and remember that we were slaves, but now we're free. Alleluia. We move from that place of brokenness and bondage to gratitude and ultimately to wholeness. And this is recognized in one of the most iconic moments of the Pesach, Dayenu. That's the section of the Magid, the section of the story that we sing this word in such a beautiful way, in a powerful way, Dayenu, as it remembers the exodus from Egypt, it remembers the giving of the Torah, it remembers the entry into the promised land. I can hear, I can hear it. And each statement that we read is responded with, it would have been enough. Still, this section is more than just a remembrance. It's a response. It's a tikkun. It's a repair. When we look at the Dayenu and we look at the overall structure of the Haggadah and the story and the, the Seder, the evening of the Seder, there are 15 parts to the Pesach Seder, to the Passover Seder. There were 15 steps to the Holy Temple on which the Levites stood to sing praise to the Lord and there are 15 statements to Dainu. Dainu, at its heart, is a series of praises, remembering and giving thanks to the Lord for his kindness to his people on the journey from bondage to freedom, on the journey from the wilderness to the Holy Land. The Talmud recognizes something extraordinary about Dainu and how it stirs us to gratitude. Malachi 3 verse 10 says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and let there be food in my house. And please prove me in this, says the Lord of hosts, whether I do not open for you the windows of the heavens and shall pour out for you boundless blessing. In tractate Ta'anit 9a, the sages translate, and shall pour out for you boundless blessing. Adblidai, as until your lips are exhausted through saying, enough. The root of Dayenu, Dai, means enough. Yet the sages see not only the Lord's promise of blessing, but also our response in gratitude and thanksgiving and praise. When we sing Dayenu, we're repairing our ingratitude. We're repairing how we look away from the blessings that the Lord has given us in every part of our life. And even though many of us are facing desperate circumstances right now, 
we cannot replace gratitude with ingratitude. If you, if we recall from the Torah, we learn that Israel was not grateful for many of the blessings that the Lord gave to them in the wilderness. They complained, as we often do. So where they complained, we need to learn to give thanks. And that is the purpose of Dayenu. That's the tikkun. That's the, the repair that happens as part of the Pesach Seder. Friends, we must recognize that each step in this journey of redemption is a miracle. Just as each statement that we respond or we, we say in the Dayenu is a miracle. And you'll read that at Pesach or you can look it up online. So why gratitude? Well, I want to take us back to the Haggadah. We read it right at the beginning, why we should be grateful, why we should have this attitude of gratitude, as we often say. The Haggadah says, and we say this together because it's in the plural, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord our God took us out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Had not the Holy One, blessed be He, taken our fathers out from Egypt, then we, our children and our children's children, would have remained enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. We were slaves, but now we are free. And when Israel departed Egypt, the Egyptians gave them gold and silver. But the Lord has given us so much greater gifts. I want to read from Deuteronomy, if you have a Bible with you. If you just excuse me to uh, get to that spot. Deuteronomy 15, beginning in verse 12, and I'll conclude in verse 15. If your fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you are to set him free. When you set him free, you are not to send him away empty-handed. You would surely provide for him from your flock and threshing floor and wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you are to give to him. You will remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I am commanding you this thing today. So many of the commandments regarding how we are to treat the human other, the Lord attaches, you are slaves in the land of Egypt, but I redeemed you. He attaches that to underscore the importance of mercy, of grace, and the responsibility of freedom. So we learn a great deal about our own deliverance from how the Lord directs us to treat others, to treat those in this specific case who were former slaves. They were to supply them with what they needed in order to restore their dignity and not leave them free, but impoverished. Dainu, again, recognizes 15 gifts the Lord gave Israel, each of what would have been enough. Dainu. The Apostle Paul reminds us, a free people in Messiah, 
a free people in Yeshua, and my God shall fill all your need according to his riches and glory in Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. And as I read earlier from 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 and 8, he says, Therefore cleanse out the old leaven, so that you are a new lump, and you are unleavened. For also Messiah, our Passover, was slaughtered for us. So then let us celebrate the festival not with old leaven, nor the leaven of evil or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. As I say at the beginning, we're washing our hands symbolically, seeing that we've been cleansed from the inside out. The evil and the wickedness has been moved out, and sincerity and truth has been moved in by the Holy Spirit. Messiah has delivered us. His blood has cleansed us. He has breathed on us to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our endowment that gifts us to work with dignity and Messiah for the kingdom. And once we're free and established in the person of Messiah, we're not to despise those with whom we were held in bondage, those who are not yet free or who are in the process of being free. We're not even to hold or to despise in a negative light those who were who held us in that place. Rather, we are commissioned now to deliver the gospel of freedom which is caught up in the Haggadah, caught up in the night of the Pesach, in the night of the Seder. It's all caught up. It's a gospel of deliverance that is being spoken to us. It's a gospel of deliverance that we're reading, a gospel of deliverance we're tasting, a gospel of deliverance that we're hearing, a gospel of deliverance that we're smelling, a gospel of deliverance that we're touching. See, friends, when we are grateful, and we rejoice before him in glad song, which is part of the narrative of the Haggadah. We're able to receive the message of Passover and impart that message to others. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but now we are free. Hallelujah. And friends, the reason that we're beginning to prepare now is so that we see not only the responsibility to teach and to be part of the chain that links the generations together with the responsibility of freedom as we discussed last week, but also to begin that repair of gratitude, of recognizing how much the Lord has blessed us by delivering us, by setting us free. And as course, as Messiah said, when the sun sets free, is free indeed, not in part, but in whole. And that should cause us to praise him for our, pre- our freedom, to praise him for our gifts, for the gifts he has given to us, Dayenu, which any one of them would have been enough, to praise him for his many full blessings and say, this year, with great sincerity, with great gratitude, Dayenu, even the smallest grace would have been enough. Friends, can we live that? Dear friends, can we make that part of a 365-day or a 360-day experience of the faith life? That even the smallest grace that God did not have to give to us would have been enough? Amen. Oh, Lord, I pray that we draw that message into our hearts, that the Holy Spirit shows us how to live 
the reality of the simplest grace, the smallest grace, that undeserved gift that you've given to us would have been enough. The smallest thing, even the breath in our lungs would have been enough. Dainu. And why we sing that in such with such exuberance, why we sing it with such power, why we sing it with such joy, is because we can feel the tikkun, we can feel the repair happening in our own hearts as we recognize the great gift that you've given to us, which is life free, set free in Messiah, to be an instrument of change, to be an instrument of help, to be an instrument of truth in the world today for the kingdom of the Messiah. Oh, friends, I pray that as we prepare for this Pesach season, that we will allow that tikkun, that repair in our heart, that we'll let go of those things that have caused us ingratitude, the little things. We can either allow the, the smallest grace of God to change us and impact us, to his glory, or we can allow the smallest ingratitude, the smallest things that cause ingratitude to take us down in a negative light. Oh, I pray, I pray that when we approach this night, why is this night different from all other nights? Because it's a night that we celebrate our freedom. It's a night that we celebrate the human other around us and it's a night that we allow the Lord to repair our ingratitude and replace it with gratitude and we sing at the end of our community seders at Messiah Hine Matov behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity La 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 la. Oh, if we're dwelling in unity, that means we've set aside all of the things that divide us, and we focus on He who unites us by the presence of His Spirit. Friends, I pray that you found something meaningful in these words, and I pray that they bless your heart to help prepare for this season. And next week, we'll look at some of the typology, the fulfillment, the messianic fulfillment that we find in the Seder, both historic and contemporary. And but until then, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you all. May the Lord bless and keep each and every one of you in the name of Messiah. Yeshua Jesus. Amen. Amen.